and welcome to the How CMOs Commit podcast. I'm Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of Siegel & Gale. This is a podcast to explore how the world's top CMOs are building their brands and the professional commitments they are making as leaders. This podcast is a recording of our Future of Branding series. From the decisions facing CMOs to the commitments they are forging, the conversations are uniquely vulnerable and strategic. Please be sure to listen to the end when I provide my reflections. This is how CMOs commit. Hello and welcome to the season three premiere of the Siegel and Gale Future of Branding Roundtable series. Every episode, we meet five leading CMOs live to explore how they are building their brands. I'm your host, Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of Siegel and Gale. Siegel and Gale is a preeminent brand strategy, design, and experience firm. Today, we are delighted to welcome guests from across the world to honor International Women's Day. International Women's Day is a day celebrating the social, cultural, economic, and political achievements of women. This day also marks a call to action for better gender equality to accelerate female equality. No doubt as you join today, you will have been captivated by the Choose to Challenge posters. My thanks to our global Siegel and Gale design team for bringing this year's Women's Day theme to life with such creativity and in such engaging ways. Before we begin, we have a bonus for everyone. I have been granted access to the Twitter Spaces beta. So immediately following this panel, I will open a space on Twitter. Think audio only after party where everyone can grab the mic and there is no video. We will post the instructions now in the chat. The purpose of the space is to continue the conversation in a highly interactive way on gender equality and brands. It's a beautiful way for us all to be together and in fact, be among the first on Twitter spaces. This year has been a watershed. It's been a watershed year for women everywhere. The US selected the first female vice president and swore in the first secretary of the treasury. Worldwide, women are being lauded, women leaders, for their handling of the pandemic. There has been meaningful progress in regarding females on corporate boards, with legislation, for example, in California, NASDAQ's listing proposals, and Goldman Sachs's requirements of its IPO clients. But at the same time, we are witnessing monumental setbacks. Report after report documents how this pandemic has disproportionately impacted women, particularly women of color. Women are more likely to have been laid off or furloughed, reflecting the industry's hardest hit. And the new Women in the Workplace study reveals that one in four women in the US are contemplating downshifting their careers or leaving the workforce. In this pivotal year, 
the International Women's Day theme is Choose to Challenge. As ever, I'm joined by five leading CMOs, and we are going to talk about the role of brands in gender equality. After the introductions, I will have individual conversations with each CMO, and then we turn to all five for our commitments round. Now, it's been well acknowledged that one of the first steps in achieving gender equality for everyone is articulating our individual strengths. So ladies, as I introduce you, please finish the following statement. My superpower is. First up, we are going to greet Sanyu Dillon, the CMO of Penguin Random House, joining from New York. Good morning and good indeed it's afternoon, Sanyu. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for inviting me to this panel. I'm super excited uh, to join everyone and to learn from my fellow panelists. And um, your superpower, Sanyu. Yes, my superpower is determination. Let's now go to Austin, Texas to meet Carla Pinheiro Sublet, the CMO of IBM. Hi, Margaret. Thanks for having me. And my superpower is bartending. Next, let's go to Dubai, where we will meet Huda Bouhamid, the CMO of Dubai Holding. Good evening, Huda. Hey, good evening. Thank you very much for having me. My superpower is being multifaceted. Okay, from Dubai, let's go to welcome Lisa McKnight, the SVP and Global Head of Barbie and the Dolls Portfolio at Mattel in Los Angeles. Hello, good morning, Lisa. Hello, um, thank you, Margaret, for having me, and I'm excited to be with you all today. My superpower is positivity. And finally, to London, to welcome Leanne Kutz, CMO of HSBC. Good evening, Leanne. Good evening, Margaret. Delighted to be here. And my superpower is clarity. Okay, ladies, lots of superpowers. We will get back to those momentarily. Now it's the turn of the audience. Shall we get a list going in the chat, please, of all marketers' superpowers? Guests of all genders, let's explode that chat with our superpowers. Now let's turn to the conversation with Sanyu. Sanyu, you said your superpower was determination. I'm willing to bet there's a story behind that. Could you briefly share how you developed that capability? Sure, indeed. Well, I say determination because the official definition is firmness purpose, and I am extremely purpose-led. So that means many of the things I do have intention behind them. I can give you an example from my personal life. In 2014, I decided to adopt a second child. I was already a solo mom to a four-year-old. I was working full-time and I was one year into my executive MBA program. So, I mean, obviously this was a challenging time to make this decision, but instead of getting um, hung up and, and worrying about how I was going to make all of the ingredients come together, I decided to have faith to take the next right step and just let it unfold. And, and I was able to do that because I knew part of my purpose was to be a mother again. So I was determined to make things work out no matter what. And as a leader, I set very clear goals and I'm guided by my vision for the future. 
And I, I've learned to keep that vision as a very strong North Star, regardless of whatever complicating factors exist. And I think that that helps my team keep their eye on the ball. Things move and change so quickly today, especially in marketing, whether it's new platforms for discovering or evolving consumer expectation or needs. So holding this vision um, allows us to persevere and keep the bigger picture in mind. So now Penguin Random House, the largest book published in the United States, announcement last November around intentions to purchase Simon & Schuster. And of course, books in general are having a little bit of a renaissance right now in the COVID era as people turn to books for many reasons. Against that context, how do you think about the challenge in front of us vis-a-vis gender equality? I mean, absolutely. In, in some way, it's, it's about brands taking a stand on issues that you know, impact society. And we know that today's consumers expect the brands that they support to take a stand on the issues that matter the most to them. Our approach when it comes to reaching our, our customer base, many of whom are women, has always been to lead with empathy. So many people's lives have been upended over the past year, especially women, people of color, parents who are going through unbelievable challenges. And you mentioned some of the stats at the top. This pandemic has resulted in, you know, seeing nearly one women seeing nearly one million more job losses than men. And if you drill down in even further into the unemployment gap, the rate between black and Hispanic women and, and white women is significant. So it's our responsibility at Penguin Random House from both a a public service standpoint and a business standpoint to consider the challenges our readers are facing and then arm them with the books to help them understand and um, cope with these issues. So for example, we launched the Reading Through It Together campaign at the beginning of the pandemic to arm working moms and parents and caregivers who were suddenly tasked with juggling childcare work and homeschooling with tools and resources to educate and entertain their little ones. But I'd say it also helps that our company is 73% women and it's over 80% at the US board leadership level. So representation matters because this means, our makeup means that we intimately understand what some of our customers are going through. Now, I imagine during this past year, there's been a lot of demand for your backlist as people adopt new hobbies or yes. like, or even in June, was there an uptake vis-a-vis how to become anti-racist? Absolutely. I mean, it was very interesting to see the trajectory of consumer sentiment over the pandemic. The beginning, of course, as I said, people were turning to workbooks and other resources to help learning at home. Then you saw clearly people were getting into hobbies because we saw a rise in books around baking and gardening, dog training. And then people turned to books this summer in the wake of the George Floyd murder, where they really wanted to, as I mentioned before, really understand and cope with what was happening in society. And so we saw books that had been published years prior getting back on our bestseller lists. How do you think about gender as you publish authors? There may be colleagues on this panel or women in the audience who would like to be a published author. Get an agent, I imagine. Anything else women should do in particular? 
Well, I mean, it's the, the first step is always getting an agent. An agent is the person who is an, an advocate and guides you through the publishing process and introduces you to the potential editors that that work at various publishing houses. But with regards to how we view, you know, publishing books, whether it's a, a woman or, or a male writing the book, you know, the mission has been consistent, which is to publish books that mirror a reader's experience, but also opens a window into a new world. And when it comes to gender equality, it's about shifting the paradigm so that we're publishing. And I think this is key here. We're publishing for the next generation of girls and future leaders, but also boys, right? And that's important. We don't want to only speak to the converted. We want girls to understand their superpowers and their, their leadership capabilities, but we also want to help boys and men understand and respect our superpower and leadership capabilities, because the more boys understand, the more uh, crucial they'll be to the effort. Sonia, we've been talking about representation for decades now. What excites or disappoints you with where we are at this moment? Yeah. Well, you know, while publishing is a is a woman-dominated industry, when it comes to race and ethnicity, we, we have a ways to go before we're truly diverse and inclusive. And this conversation has been ongoing for almost as many years as I've been in the industry, which is 20. And yet there are still few women of color at senior leadership levels. I will say this past year, there has been much more traction than in the past. It's definitely been a sea change. And I'm seeing this across many industries, not, not just my own. Um, but I think for publishing, we, we've always recognized the need for meaningful change. But what we're also seeing is the significance of direct action, which you know can bring about change much faster than, than meaningful discussion. So at Penguin Random House, that means obviously a commitment to increasing diversity at our company, um, but it also means recognizing impact over intent and, and being race explicit and providing tools and resources to everyone in the company, not just those that sit in HR or do DE&I work. But we're, we're also committed to making the publishing industry more equitable as a whole, especially with regard to the titles we present and the authors that we publish. Well, thank you. Thank you for that, Sanyu. Let's now go back to Texas to talk with Carla Pinero Sablet, CMO of IBM. So, Carla, you indicated that bartending was your superpower, not what I would have expected. So, <laughs> tell us why. Well, I put myself through architecture school running restaurants and bars, and that has really shaped who I am as a business person and as a CMO. Because I was learning design thinking at the same time that I was learning how to run a PL, how to lead people. But there's another gift that it gave me, Margaret, which is it made me realize that no matter how bad things are, I can always make a great margarita. And, and as a result, I've always operated from a place of fearlessness. And for me, that has been the real gift in the workplace is recognizing that when I'm doing my best, when I'm being bold, that there really is nothing to fear because I can always go back in 10 bars. Marvelous. It's always good to have a plan B. So, <laughs> so Carla, you recently joined IBM. Interesting, in my research, I discovered that IBM was founded in 1911, the same year that we had the first International Women's Day event. So interesting timing there. And ever since, of course, IBM has been changing the way we work. 
talk to us about your perspective at IBM around whether companies should take a public stand on gender equality. Yes, absolutely. So in fact, this is one of the reasons I joined IBM. For over 100 years, as you mentioned, IBM has been a leader in diversity and inclusion and equality in the workplace. And in 1935, actually 30 years before the Equal Pay Act guaranteed pay equality between sexes, our president, Thomas Watson, promised equal pay for equal work and established a policy at IBM. Um, and this commitment's also making its way into our, into our products. I was actually talking to our head of research, Dario Gill, and he was letting me know that we've actually started to establish standards for artificial intelligence and software. And we're the only company very concrete technology, and that's with respect to scientific output, papers, toolkits, and every pillar of trust, fairness and bias, explainability. And what that basically means is that we're taking a very strong stance in eliminating bias through technology, which is really, really powerful when you think about it. In addition to this, one of the things that have been really cool is that IBM launched the Be Equal Initiative, which is a campaign to engage our employees and our clients in society and promoting the advancement and fairness of gender equality in business and society. And it's actually engaged tens of thousands of women and men worldwide. But in addition to this, on the heels of this, I'm really excited about an app that we're about to launch, Margaret, called the Be Equal app. And it's actually a tool to be designed to basically help citizens diversify their consumption of content and broaden their exposure to more inclusive influences and interests. And if you think about the world that we live in today and the echo chambers that we could potentially be in, to think that you could have an app that would open up your aperture uh, to different points of view and make sure that you're getting diversity in the content that you're exploring is, is really, really powerful. So the net net is IBM as a company is taking a very strong stance, both internally and externally with respect to this topic. And the reality is we care about our employees and customers as well as our place in society. So interesting. I'd love to unpack a little of what you said. One of the hot topics now in AI is the reality that so much of what's going into AI is being created by white males. So it's an exciting development. Are you seeing opportunity and interest among women in tech to participate in this? You've been in tech many years. Again, that women in tech conversation has been ongoing. What gives you optimism at this time? Well, I would say not enough, Margaret. And that's something that we have to be very deliberate about in terms of continue, continuing to increase the STEM pipeline for women and people of color. Uh, this is of paramount importance. But what do, does give me hope is people like Dario Gill, who runs our research, who take this so seriously into heart and are creating standards that are open amongst developers that can actually help us eliminate bias. Carla, speak about your marketing efforts, because as brands, we can have a lot of influence in terms of the narratives we put into market. How does IBM think of gender equality in that context? We think of it not just in terms of narrative, but we actually think of it in terms of every aspect of the marketing engine. So whether that's the partnerships that we have in, type, in terms of the types of agencies that we work with, and we've now started to challenge them to make sure that they improve their diversity within the teams that work with us. And then in addition to that, Margaret, we think about the talent that we have, the people that portray who IBM is and out in the marketplace. But I, I also think something that is very, very important is who's behind the camera. 
who are the actual people that we're employing as part of the work. And we actually have a diversity inclusion board for the marketing function that owns making sure that we're making progress against these initiatives. Well, that has tremendous potential given that you've 350,000 people <laughs> spread across, across the world. Thank you. Thank you for that, Carla. Sure. Let's, let's now go over to Dubai. Huda, good evening to you. Huda Buhamid, CMO Dubai Holding. So Huda, once again, an interesting superpower, multifaceted. Tell us more. Absolutely, Margaret. Maybe it goes back to um, where I started my career. I actually started my career with Citibank. So I was very much focusing on banking. I then moved actually to Dubai Holding and it's a very diversified uh, conglomerate. It has interest in real estate, tourism, attractions, entertainment. And therefore, I thought I had really first-hand experience looking at all these insights, all these customer segments, all the understandings from the markets that we operate in. In addition to what I do actually in Dubai Holding, I actually sit on various boards, including some government bodies, some charitable organizations. So I actually examine corporate governance extremely well. And I generally believe being able to handle all these sectors, all these segments is a strength that I actually bring to the Y holding, which is being able to multitasking, multifaceted across several, I would say, industries and several customer segments. Now, I know innovation is at the heart of the Dubai holding brand. I also recognize that the issue around gender is a complex one in your region Talk to us about the perspective there in terms of whether Dubai Holding takes a public stand on gender equality. Indeed, Margaret. I mean, uh, proud to say that Dubai Holding is uh, one of the conglomerates that run the largest number of free zones in the UAE. And uh, they actually span, I would say, different sectors, including education, science, media, ICT, I mean, and, and you name it. We actually introduced an incubator program in uh, 2013 and happy to say that currently we have 26% of the startups are being led by women. And these successful women managed to actually raise around, I would say, $16 million uh, in terms of funding. Um, where we come into the picture, whether it's internally or externally, we obviously believe that gender equality is an important agenda for Dubai Holding, is an important agenda for the leadership in the UAE. Uh, if you compare us with the rest of the uh, region, I'm talking about obviously the Middle East, uh, there are many, I would say, strides that we have taken in enabling and empowering really women. I think we have around nine ministers, female ministers, if you compare it with the rest of, of, of our, I think around 31, a number that the Middle East have never actually seen. Um, Recently, we've managed to actually uh, launch a probe to Mars and around 52% of uh, the employees or, or the workers who actually worked in this uh, mission were actually women. So extremely proud of where the country is actually taking this agenda. We actually reflect that in Dubai Holding being an employer of choice. We try to encourage it internally within our businesses, within the uh, I would say the ecosystems that we actually operate in. What excites you most at this time in terms of gender equality? And is there anything that disappoints you? 
Well, the representation of uh, women on boards is um, is obviously a huge concern, especially when you consider, I would say, the Middle East. Um, while in the UAE, uh, I mean, you know, there was a quota which was introduced back in 2012. Uh, we haven't seen a significant jump, but we're seeing progress. I think there are many qualified women who are actually able to make a difference on publicly listed companies or even on government bodies. I think they're waiting for opportunities. What I'm excited about is that this agenda is being taken really very seriously by the private sector, by the government sector, and we're actually seeing, I would say, progress in this. Uh, I'm very excited about this, and I think it's something that will change the middle for us in the Middle East, for sure. And in your role as a marketer, part of that responsibility is telling that story. What's the message you would give to us, recognizing that sometimes there may be some myths or miscommunications about women in your region, and in particular, vis-a-vis -vis Dubai? Well, from my side, uh, Margaret, the numbers talk about themselves, you know? So you're absolutely right when you consider the Middle East and there is very little knowledge about where we stand. If you look at all the indexes, if you look at all the percentages, you see more women getting into the workplace, you're seeing more, more women getting into education, you're getting more women getting opportunities to actually uh, operate businesses and SMEs. And, and, and that's something which is, which is extremely encouraging in, in this part of the world. I mean, you know, and, uh, and therefore we think that uh, this matter is being really taken very seriously by the leadership in the UAE, as well as important influential corporates like where we come from which is the by holding i mean we employ around uh, 16,000 employees obviously not comparable at all to ibm i mean we we continue to be a small i would say operations in our own country of nine million people but it's it's the positivity and progress around this topic which keeps us really excited great well thank you for that huda now let's go to los angeles where Lisa McKnight is the SVP and Global Head of Barbie and the Dogs Portfolio at the TAB. So Lisa, positivity, tell us more. Yes, well, I, I'll say a few things, and certainly last year I put some of my superpowers um, to the test. You know, the first thing I do want to acknowledge is from a leadership perspective, I do try to always lead with empathy and um, be a good listener and appreciate where everyone is coming from try to meet them where they are. Again, last year was a real eye-opener for me to appreciate that I had a lot of employees that were isolated and you know, living alone, um, and they needed um, certain types of support. A lot of employees with young families and no, no childcare, and obviously you know, doing school from home, juggling a lot. So definitely was a challenging year in that regard to um, ensure that the team was whole and um, protected and you know being supported the best I could. But positivity is something that's always been uh, a trait of mine that um, I'm sure I inherited from my mother. You know, I, I again last year found that I was sort of the chief cheerleader of the team. You know, there's so many challenges and I've always tried to find um, the wins in um, what we're doing. And from a business standpoint, I run a portfolio of brands and Certainly um, not every brand is always firing at the same time. You know, you've got your bright spots and your low lights. And so I'm always trying to figure out, well, what's the learning and what's the um, 
the positivity that we can celebrate and rally around to, to keep the team motivated. Barbie um, actually has a blog on YouTube and she signs off every blog with case, positive attitude changes everything. And I think that definitely rings true to my leadership style. Wonderful. Well, I know from viewing uh, social media that Barbie is quite the influencer. Before we get there, it's worth stepping back a little, acknowledging that Barbie's brand has been around six decades, highs and lows, currently making headlines for record uh, sales, as well as being awarded the top global toy property last year for your work on inclusion. So congratulations there. Tell us about the journey. Where is Barbie now? And where have you been on that journey? And perhaps share learnings for other brands, recognizing that Barbie is so influential in this conversation around gender equality. Well, interestingly, Barbie was created by also the co-founder of our company, Mattel, um, by a woman, Ruth Handler. She was inspired by watching her son and daughter play with toys and noticed that her daughter, Barbara, didn't have as many choices as her son did. and didn't have as many toys to help her imagine what she could be when she grew up. So Barbie was born based on that insight. So the brand at its core has always been about empowerment and inspiring girls to believe that they can be anything when they grow up in the world. You know, through decades, uh, like you mentioned, brands go through highs and lows. And recently, about five or six years ago, we weren't liking the playback that we were receiving from parents, from society. The brand had seemed to have lost touch with the world today. Um, not only were we not overtly marketing our messaging around empowerment, but the product expression itself was limiting. Um, we didn't have a lot of diversity in the line. We also weren't using the brand to celebrate real female role models. So we, we took stock and we've done a lot of work in recent years to make sure the product better reflects the world around us. We've introduced a ton of diversity from body diversity to dolls with physical um, differences and different abilities to different skin tones, hair fibers, hair colors, eye colors, etc. And now Barbie is the most diverse line in the world today. And that's resonating with consumers. So we're incredibly proud of the evolution. And we're also starting to honor more real women role models um, where we create likeness dolls. We created a doll line called Inspiring Women Series. And it's been a great way to amplify trailblazers and to show girls, again, these amazing inspiring role models. Thank you for that. The Maya Angelou is my personal favorite of the dolls. What, what's your favorite? Do you have a favorite? I have so many favorites. I, um, I, I, love, I love Maya Angelou, absolutely. Um, obviously read um, her. Um, acclaimed um, autobiography and um, was really excited when, when the team showed me the original sketch and concept for the doll. And of course, the consumer response has been fantastic. It sold out in two days and we're going back into production and we start some interesting conversation. I'm also a big tennis buff, so I love Billie Jean King that we introduced and honored last year. And what was exciting about that is, of course, Billie Jean King is alive and so she was a very exciting person to speak to. And, about everything that she went through in a career that at the time was um, very dominated by male uh, players. So it was fun to get her take. Lisa, let's talk about digital because there is so much opportunity to influence young, young people and all of us in the digital realm right now. I know the Barbie Dreamhouse Adventures app 
what became the number one downloaded app in the six to eight year olds category. And of course, I mentioned earlier, Barbie herself on YouTube and elsewhere is quite the influencer. What's your mindset as you think about Barbie's digital footprint and how that can influence gender equality? Well, again, you know, we, we have to go where our consumers are. And, and obviously, everyone is consuming digital content at a rapid pace. Um, so we, we need to create content and programming that, um, that connects to consumers in that way. We've been using our Barbie social channels to not only showcase, again, inspiring women, to lend our platform to voices that um, may not have the platform that we have. We have a, a broad reach of you know, millions of, of fans. And we've been using our voice also to you know, stir up important conversations. I'm incredibly proud of a video we created, again, on Blogger that I mentioned earlier last year to address and discuss systemic racism. Barbie actually hosted a dialogue and sort of shared the mic, if you will, with her Black friend, Nikki. And they talked about systemic racism and that became an incredible tool to spark conversation between parents and their children, as well as society at large. Any new Barbie in the works you can tell us about? Oh goodness, well, lots coming up. What I will share is, again, where, where consumers go, Barbie will go. And um, we have some exciting news coming later this year in the realm of uh, sustainability. So coming soon. Interesting. Well, we'll have you back to talk about that. Thank you very much, Lisa. Now patiently waiting in London, Leanne Cutts, CMO of HSBC, one of the world's largest banks, and a colleague who says her superpower is clarity. Tell us more, Leanne. Well, Margaret, I've lived in seven countries so far, um, and I've worked with many different teams across many more. And that can mean a lot of complexity, ambiguity, potential actually for misunderstanding as we're building a global brand like HSBC. So it's important that I'm clear on our priorities, the what, the how, and the why. However, it's really important, I think, that it's clarity without dogmatism. And by that, I mean that there what I've learned is that there isn't just one way to do things or one culture, one dogma, one truth. There are many. And it's actually my role to bring together those diverse strands into something that's really powerful that has impact across many communities. So let's talk about the bank. I mean, financial services so integral to women's success What's your point of view on gender equality and, in fact, whether the bank takes a public stand on the issue? Mm, well, HSBC, as you mentioned, I mean, we've been around 155 years. It has more than 40 million customers around the world. We speak 144 different languages just in the bank. So we clearly value difference. We're founded on that strength of different people, experiences and voices. And our purpose as a bank is to open up a world of opportunity. So that's actually quite a deliberate and intentional point of view about our place in the world, our stand, if you like. And I believe that great brands do take a point of view on culture. I think actually great creative, great communication comes from that place. And as a brand, I think actually that gives us a really distinctive point of view in many markets. It means that our communications and partnerships both represent and celebrate 
uh, the diverse communities that we serve, including gender. A couple of examples we've, you know, in with female entrepreneurs, so challenging a lot of the stereotypes around the entrepreneur, and we showcase many uh, female entrepreneurs. In fact, most recently in some of the work we've done in Asia and Malaysia and Singapore, we uh, sponsor five Olympic sports. And actually our sponsorship has facilitated a significant shift in female representation, both at the grassroots level or at actually at elite level as well in the, in the sports that, we, that we're involved with. Uh, and something that's come up actually before already on, on uh, the call today is around building in or designing in from the get-go that the gender-neutral application processes that we now have that are fundamental, of course, to the way that um, you know, customers will come to us and how we serve our customers and design that in so that there's a DNI lens and a gender equality lens over the design of those products and services. Leon, it's been well documented that women have a precarious relationship with financials and financial services and money management for that matter, and in some scenarios, access to capital. Is there anything in particular HSBC is doing to make money and finance more acceptable for conversation, more accessible to females? Well, I've mentioned a couple of things, as I mentioned around said around um, our entrepreneurs. In fact, we've we've been, we partner with a number of different groups that their focus is specifically around female entrepreneurs, and we're investing in that. We're also in terms of our, of startups as well, and in technical areas, we've heard about the the role of, of STEM already today. So we're investing in that as well. The other one too is around financial education. And in fact, one of the biggest you know, asks from our customers, particularly women uh, during COVID has been around financial education. And so therefore we've, we've created a whole suite of assets now that are available uh, you know, on all, on, across all of our channels where people can go and actually access you know, information around how to manage their finances. And in fact, we have a, you know, a, a what we call FinFit or Financial Fit app that's often available through our app or separately across a number of our different markets where you can actually go in and actually help, help you understand what your financial fitness is like at the moment. Uh, and there are also ideas around how to improve that and how we will be able to help you to do it as well. Leon, what about women working in financial services? What's the perspective at HSBC in terms of creating an adaptive workplace? Well, I think also said, you know, it's back to the kind of like, you know, uh, what excites and disappoints <laughs> about where we are. Because um, I think, you know, it's, it's clearly both, I think, at the moment for me. I mean, at you know, HSBC, we've, you know, we've reached 30.3% representation at senior le leader level. So clearly a lot still a long way to go. In marketing, that's much higher. And my leadership team is over 50%. But at the, at the bank as a whole, it's lower than that. But we have some aspiration as HSBC, it'd be for, for 35% by 2025. Still a long way to go, um, as we'd all recognise. I think most recently what I've been encouraged by in terms of that representation is that we're fixing some of what I call those broken rungs uh, to female representation, especially that critical kind of transition to senior manager and leader. So we've got a couple of signature acceleration programs now that are reaching hundreds of women every year. Um, from the most recent cohort, I'm delighted to say that actually 40%, that's 4-0, have already made lateral moves or they've been promoted. So that's been a, a huge shift to what we've seen. So I think that, that pipeline and, inter, and intervening those critical areas in the pipeline is what's going to help solve some of those representation issues. Great. Thank you so much, Leon. 
So let's now go to the top of the order again with San Yu. And we're going to talk about our commitments round. But before I do that, I'd like to invite the audience back to the chat, please. Audience members, please tell us how you think brands can make a difference in choosing to challenge gender equality. Share your thoughts, share examples of brands that you think are doing it well. Sanyu, the topic is choose to challenge. The theme this year is exactly that. And I'd love to ask you first on behalf of Penguin Random House and then personally, how will your brand choose to challenge gender equality in 2021? And as yeah, you know, from a personal perspective, what is your personal commitment to forging a gender equal world? Great, I love this question. As a publishing house, uh, we don't just follow culture. We help shape and define it by providing a platform for a diverse array of voices. So yes, that must include women's voices and BIPOC voices, but also gender non-binary and trans narratives. And it means publishing books across a wide spectrum. And we want that spectrum to include books and storytellers who illuminate new movements and kind of light the way for what comes next. From a marketing perspective, we're seeking to then amplify those voices by building platforms or brokering partnerships with like-minded organizations or partnering with a diverse array of, of influencers and, and creatives. And yes, hiring a team that then continues to reflect this diversity. And as the CMO of a company of predominantly women, then I am personally committed to leading with honesty, empathy, and by example. Many of the women that I lead are, are also moms who deal with um, countless situations before even showing up for the day. And, and as a parent myself, you know, I under the, understand the stress many of them are under. And, and for employees who are not parents but are caring for their parents and, and other loved ones, much of this work falls on women, as we know. And that means it's important to give employees the space to have honest conversations and, and share the challenges that they're facing. It is important that employees are able to show up as their authentic and whole selves. And as a company, we recognize the importance of listening so that we can address some of the challenges people are experiencing, whether it's you know limiting meetings company-wide or, or just ensuring that we provide maximum flexibility. Sanyu, any concisely, any practical example of how that ethos comes to life? Absolutely. I mean, in, in just what I said, canceling meetings uh, uh, company-wide to ensure that people have the space and the flexibility, creating inclusion partners so that we have the ability for people in the company to have partners that they can talk to about some of the challenges that they're facing, and just communicating as much as possible in plain English that we are all in this together. Because the truth is, Many of us have lost something this past year, right? And so we have to make sure that we, as I said before, we recognize the impact that we are giving to our employees and make sure we name what it is. Great, thank you for that thoughtfulness, Sanyu. So Carla, IBM, same question. How will your brand choose to challenge gender bias and inequality in 2021? 
Well, I think I've already addressed some of them, Margaret, in terms of the new app that we're launching, as well as our commitment. And um, and our commitment is so intentional that even our senior executives set goals and are measured at the highest level. However, I have to say, Senyu's answer made me rethink mine. And uh, from a personal standpoint, because the situation with COVID is so dire and the impact that it's had on women, in particular women of color, I'm recognizing that just promoting women and making sure that we're promoting diversity in the workplace is not enough. And I'm realizing that I need to do, I need to personally check in with the women in my organization, as well as the men, um, to see how things are going at home and to make sure that I play a role in helping get these 2.4 million women that have just dropped out of the workforce, helping get them back. And so I'm altering my response based on, on what I've heard today because I believe that the situation in 2021 in particular is more dire for us and more urgent. Certainly. Well, you can add open-mindedness to bartending as a student. (laughs) (laughs) Carla, I I recognize you're very new at IBM, but I also know IBM has a tremendous measurement culture. Mm -hmm. Anything vis-a-vis gender equality that's important to measure? Well, I think think representation numbers, you know, at the highest level, just making sure that we have people of color and women represented through all the ranks of our organization. I think that is absolutely of paramount importance and making sure that we're improving against those numbers is really, really important. And we are very much a data-driven culture, and it's something that we talk about very openly. I know you're also a mom. On, On the personal commitment front and women in tech, anything you'd like to call out there? I think, you know, like I mentioned, checking in with the women in my organization, as well as the the women and men in my life and making sure that they're, that everything is fine on the home front. I do think that, you know, one of the things that has been coming up for me over and over is I'm a mom to not just a daughter, but to a son. And the question that I'm always asking myself is how should we be raising our boys right now? And I don't know that I have all the answers to that, but I, I think that that is something that's very top of mind. You know, how do we raise allies? and our boys and our girls. Absolutely empathize with that, as you know, Carla. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So Huda, same question for you in Dubai. How will Dubai Holding choose to challenge gender bias and inequality in 2021? Well, Margaret, Dubai Holding is certainly committed to making the workplace inclusive. And I must say that we actually invested heavily in the initial phase to get our assessments done, the gap analysis, identified opportunities, invested heavily in initiatives and programs that addresses that, and ending it with the KPIs. We actually literally have the KPIs embedded in the scorecard of every single CEO of our operations. And our operations, as I've mentioned before, actually span between real estate, hospitality, business parks, I mean, entertainment. So the matter is taken really very seriously. We know that it's not on, it's, it's not a, it's not a, this is not the end game. There's a long way to go. Uh, I'm extremely, uh, I would say, optimistic and positive about how this topic is being taken, not only at the corporate level, but even at our operations and companies. Personally, um, I would like to actually invest more time in mentoring other women around me. The reason is I have seen it firsthand. I have seen it in an environment where 90% of the population around me are actually men. 
and therefore you had to cut through and you have to prove yourself and you have to work day and night just to ensure that all of these stereotypes about UAE nationals or women in general is actually is actually changed and hence I generally believe by lending a hand to another capable woman, we will be in a position to change perceptions and make it out there. Uh, I actually liked what Carla have said. I'm a mom, I have a son. And incidentally, we've been talking about this. And maybe my background is more challenging than you ladies. I mean, you know, it's, it's in the Middle East, despite of all the advancements that we have done in education and all levels, still there is there is a lot to be done to be able to enable the younger generations and the upcoming i would say boys to accept uh, women working women uh, running businesses uh, women i mean you know in challenging tech positions and and whatever so from my point of view i think it all starts from home also when they actually see role models when they see their moms actually helping them shape their perceptions about other women, they will grow up, they will get married, they will actually start their own lives. But it's important that they push the agenda and enabling others succeed also. So uh, that's my take on this, uh, Margaret. Well, Huda, thank you for sharing that honest perspective and know that you have all of our support on that journey. You did touch on KPIs or key performance indicators. Perhaps you would share with us, if you would, what they yeah. are, what are you measuring? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, the first thing is, which we generally believe is extremely important for us, is to have a sense check of where the company is. So the gap analysis and assessments are ex extremely important for us. Moving from there into identifying the opportunities and not only identifying the opportunities, but actually seeing programs that, uh, that addresses them. And reporting on the progress is something which is extremely important. So, so far, we actually have these three measures embedded in the balanced scorecard. It might be seen to some people as um, uh, this is a very basic start, but we need it. I mean, there has to be a baseline. There has to be something, there has to be a starting point for us to be able to start building in it. It makes it a bit complex for us simply because we just don't focus on one sector. We're so diversified. So one size will not fit all for sure in our, I would say, context. And hence, these are the three important, I would say, deliverables within the KPIs that we actually monitor our businesses on. Well, thank you for that, Huda. So now, Lisa, same question. How will Barbara choose to challenge gender bias and inequality this year? And you personally, as a CMO, what is your commitment to forge a more gender equal world? Well, I'll start with Mattel at large. Um, you know, I'm very proud to work at this company. Um, there is a lot of female representation. You know, 56 percent of our employees are women, and 51 percent of our employees are that are women are in leadership positions. So we've got a good baseline, but of course, there's always still more to do. But Mattel at large has been eager to try to get more women interested in the overall industry. And so we recently created a mentorship program based on our founder, Ruth Handler, with the um, Women in Toys Association. And so it's the Ruth Handler Mentor Program to help young women, you know, grow and learn from other leaders and develop a, a robust career path. So I'm proud of that. The other thing that tells been working on is, you know, with retail partners to remove um, gender labeling in toy departments. And many, um, many retailers have 
certainly done that. But again, um, you know, a doll can be for anyone. I'm an action figure can be for anyone. We don't need to prescribe the kids that play with these toys. So that's exciting. Barbie specifically, you know, we've done a lot throughout the years to um, promote a message of empowerment and to inspire girls to believe they can be anything. But a few years ago, we discovered a study done by um, New York University. Starting at the age of five, girls actually started to doubt their capabilities and competencies vis-a-vis boys. And that was, that's been titled The Dream Gap. And so we were very moved by that. And we started the Barbie Dream Gap project to help girls transcend this issue. We're funding more research to understand the root cause. We're, as I said earlier, investing a lot in role model dolls. We're creating um, inspiring content and even curriculum to help kids transcend and girls specifically this dream gap phenomenon because we were quite alarmed by that. And again, what we've realized is not only do brands need to um, you know, have positive messaging out there, but they need to walk the talk. So social activism and social impact is now a pillar of the marketing strategy of Barbie. Anything in particular that you would personally like to highlight as your commitment? Well, I, um, I too have children. I've got two teenage daughters. So of course, um, I'm always, um, you know, again, encouraging them to participate, raise their hand in the classroom, speak up, push themselves into areas that are not as comfortable as others. I do the same with my team. I've got a great team of um, women and men, and I, I want to make sure they appreciate that the more versatile they are, the more opportunities that will open up to them. So I am always, again, mentoring uh, folks, not only at Mattel, but outside of Mattel, and encouraging them, just like my kids, to raise their hand, go for things that, again, they might not think that they're qualified for, but they probably are, and it'll just broaden up their um, you know, career opportunities in the future. Thank you, Lisa. Let's all dream big, right? So, Leanne, I should clarify for folks who may be wondering the accent. Australian? Yes, <laughs> although it's <laughs> mellowed a little bit in other country on and off quite a lot of times. But yes, Australia originally, yes. I, I know the phenomena of having an accent from one country and living in another. So tell us, HSBC, oh. how is your brand going to challenge gender bias this year? Well, I think as we've already heard as well, I think scorecards are important. What gets measured gets done. So having an equality measure and an improvement to our to our to our gender lists, that's that's really important. And that's in all of our senior leader scorecards across the bank. And to that as well, I mean, what we've also, you know, gender diverse shortlists have always been, you know, a priority. But also HSBC, they're now it's not optional any longer. So it's, it's basically it, it's it's become mandatory. Uh, particularly as we say we start moving into those senior ranks, because that's also a way for us to be able to just see more talent across. So that's also something that that's happening that we're committed to. The other one too is we've heard, we've talked a little bit about inclusion already. I mean, we, we know that diversity is often very local and representing the communities that we serve, but inclusion is global. And so therefore, one of the things too that HSBC is committed to doing, and you know, as a brand we, we to show up is, in, is basically inclusive hiring practices and having that kind of integrated and hardwired into the way that actually that we're moving people around inside the bank and also bringing people in as well. So they're just a couple of the things that the, that the, the business is doing. 
Um, and also from a from a marketing perspective, that all of the area around what I call the supply chain around that kind of creative ecosystem and the media the media ecosystem as well. You know, we've been looking underneath that as well, and on the back of the Black Lives Matter movement as well. Um, since last year, we've interrogated that one more time because we do want to be able to to, to know that again throughout the supply chain that we're using and all of our third parties, are they diverse as well? So we're doing a lot more work in that space as well and with the support of a lot of our, our kind of um, the rest of our colleagues around the bank, looking at all of those third parties. So that's also something that we're committed to doing. Excellent. And Thank you, me, yes. Yes. And for me personally, such so your next your last one, I've got a personal commitment. Yes, please. Um, yeah, so look, we all know that COVID is not an equaliser, right? And we know the impact on women's careers. It hasn't been a blip. It's been a catastrophe for, for many, um, as we would have taken that disproportionate burden. So for me personally, this, is, this has really been a reset moment. And I have a daughter at college. And so for me, I, what I choose to challenge is really the future of work, because work has been profoundly disrupted. And so I think the future of work needs to also be profound as well and positively disrupted, because it's been a structural shift in the way that we work. It's not an aberration. And when we hear some people say that work from home or like over the past year has been like an aberration, you, you've got to wonder why they won't do the hard work of actually rethinking these structural shifts and what both women and men are saying about what they want in their careers. And so we've been doing a lot of that hard, hard thinking, that hard work about thinking around the flexibility, the adaptation, the learning opportunities, about the types of careers and also the spaces and places that our, our colleagues uh, want to create in terms of the meaningful career they'd like to have for themselves. So I choose to challenge the future of work. Well, thank you. Thank you for that, Leanne, and thank you, ladies. And in, in thanking our panel overall, I'd like to share my reflections. This conversation traversed many areas, from superpowers to the role of brands in society to women in the workforce. As I listen to our conversation, two related opportunities stand out to me. First, as CMOs and agencies, we can choose to build brands that reflect and shape a more equal culture and society. As organizational leaders, we can choose to build workplaces that are more adaptive and that value women and everyone equally. Thank you to our five CMOs for providing genuine perspective on how your brands and you personally choose to challenge. We look forward to tracking your progress as you live out the commitments shared today. In thanking our guests of all genders and all backgrounds across the world, my hope is that you leave here further inspired to choose to challenge. That we embrace the outsized influence brands can have on the world. That we realize the skills, as documented in the chat, the skills and superpowers that marketers deploy every day are exactly the strengths required to change the world and that we recognize the urgency of this moment. A challenged world is an alert world. 
From challenge comes change. Let's choose to challenge. Thank you to my production team, led by Alison Shiver and Ashling Noonan, assisted by Mick Smith, audience development, Aisha Ewing and Erin Proud, blog editor, Daniel Alonso, and designer, Gisem Garatas, and our entire Siegel and Gale team. You can listen to all our previous CMO panels by subscribing to How CMOs Commit podcast. We have some groundbreaking CMO conversations on the How CMOs Commit podcast. And do please save the date. We are back on April 13th with our next Future of Branding CMO panel. Now for today's bonus. In a moment, I will start a space on Twitter. Think audio only after party. It will be very casual and interactive. You'll see the instructions now in the chat. Please take a moment if you can spare it. We will continue this conversation. So if you're curious about Twitter spaces or you've something to contribute on International Women's Day and choose to challenge, we would love to hear your voice. Again, the instructions in the chat. And if you're new to spaces, don't worry, I will do an orientation at the beginning. With that, on behalf of everyone at Siegel and Gale, I'm Margaret Malloy, thanking you for joining us and wishing you all a very happy International Women's Day. Thank you for joining How CMOs Commit. You've heard the strategic insights and professional commitments of top brand builders from around the world. I hope you also enjoyed my reflections on how this conversation is relevant to all marketers. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And please rate, review, and share this podcast. Until next time, this is how CMOs commit.